Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's Livin' the Bream with host of Fox News at Night, Shannon Bream. Joining us this week on Live in the Bream is somebody that to know him is to love him. I'm going to read you a little bit of his bio, but he's so humble, he'll probably be embarrassed by it. But this is somebody that is a multi-platinum recording artist, has won Grammys, Dove Awards, American Music Awards, sold more than 15 million albums. He's also somebody who lives what he sings about. He gives back to the community. He's done projects all over the world, teamed up with Bono uh, to battle AIDS in Africa. He started Rocket Town, which is an amazing place in Nashville. Maybe we'll get to talk about that too. Um, But he's just done so much with Compassion International. Uh, and all kinds of things. Um, he's prolific, but he's also a great, humble guy who is the real deal. Michael W. Smith, welcome. Great to have you. Thank you, Shannon. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. And we are here today to talk about your brand new book, The Way of the Father. It yes. talks about your amazing dad, so many fantastic stories, but you also weave this together in thinking about our heavenly father and the things that we can learn from both of these forces in our life. Um, tell me about your dad. I never got to meet him, but he sounds like somebody that just you would love to know him. Everybody would. Well, my dad, um, he was the kindest man I ever knew who happened to be my dad. Hmm. And, um, you know, he just he was just an amazing father, you know, to my sister and I. He served the community. He was a deacon at the church. He was my baseball coach all growing up. I wanted to be, I wanted to play professional baseball and play for the Cincinnati Reds. That, that's a whole other thing that ended when I was 15 because <laughs> I was playing piano and playing and doing, doing sports at the same time. But obviously the music thing won out in the end, but mm-hmm. he, it's turned out okay for you. Um, yeah. <laughs> the world is very grateful that you went down this path. <laughs> but he was just, he, he was amazing. And I know he had his faults. Uh, I just didn't see very many of them. Um, you know, I think the only time I ever saw him get upset was when my songs didn't go number one. He couldn't figure that out. <laughs> and I'd say, I, would, I would say, Dad, all my songs can't go number one. And he would say, why not, son? You're the best. Aww. He would just say things like that my whole life. So, mm-hmm. he, you know, coaching, it was like just edifying, edifying. Then the whole music thing happened, and then he kind of became my PR agent. So he mm-hmm. just edify me, edify me. So it it's, was, uh, yeah, whatever good Shannon, whatever good is in me, it's first and foremost, you know, my relationship with Christ changed my life. And then my dad, and I, mm-hmm. and I, and I wrote the book because we kind of tied this into Abba Father a little bit, but my dad showed me a little bit of what God's like. And, that, mm. and that's why I wrote it. I thought, and even for people who didn't have a good dad, I'm really uh, sensitive to this because there's probably a lot of people listening who didn't have a good father. Um, I mean, I think I talk in the book about my mom. My mom was abandoned when she was eight years old and her three younger siblings, but my real grandmother who told them to get out of the car a block from their house. And my real grandmother drove off and never, never came home. She just split, Mm -hmm. you know? So my mom had a choice and I know everybody's story is different and circumstances are different, but I just remember my mom telling me at one point when we were having a conversation, she said, 
I just said, I just made up my mind that if I have a family one day, that's not going to ever happen to my kids, Mm -hmm. you know, so she kind of made a choice. So, Mm -hmm. but I do believe that, which is, I talk a lot about in the book. I think if you didn't have a good father, God can father you. I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, because I have a lot of friends who didn't have a good father. Yeah. And if you have a complicated relationship with your dad, um, you know, it can color what you think about a heavenly father until you have that separate relationship and know that he's good. He's looking out for you. He wants the best for you. He loves you unconditionally. So you talk about that on so many different levels in the book. There are funny stories. I love your dad. Um, And I've heard you tell this story, but it was so funny to read it again about your dad is literally in an ambulance going off to the hospital because he's had this episode and he is not well, but he wants everybody to know who you are and how important you are in this whole process. I just love it. You talk about him being your biggest fan. And there he is kind of yelling from the gurney, like my son is Michael W. Smith. (laughs) He's just so proud. And what a difference it makes in a kid's life to have someone like that. Yeah. I mean, that was a moment. I mean, yeah, they put my dad in the back and, you know, and to, to set all that up, my dad had all these sayings. He, you know, he'd say what in the wild world of, world of sports is going on. And he had a, he had another thing where he'd say, hold the phone, hold <laughs> the phone. That means that my dad had something to say. So we all listened to what my dad say, but that was that one moment uh, I was watching these guys work on my dad and I'd walk back to greet all these people in the street, loving on my mom. Cause the color had kind of, kind of come back in my dad's skin. I think he's going to be okay. And so, you know, I took off and all of a sudden I hear my dad shouting from that amb- ambulance going, hold the phone, hold the phone. He's shouting, <laughs> run back over there and going, and every paramedic, there's five of them. They're all frozen. Nobody's moving. And my dad leans his head off the stretcher and looks at those paramedics and says, do y'all know who that is out there? That's my son, <laughs> Michael W. Smith. And I just remember going, I kind of did the back to the future thing, McFly, McFly, like, oh my gosh, my dad, what's he doing? And he's, he's kind of embarrassing a little bit. Mm-hmm. He and loved then, you so much. And he, he loved talk- me. He, he, he did. And, and, and Shannon, that moment, about 10 seconds later, that's where I, it was an epiphany. It was sort of a download. It was a revelation. And I, I've known it. I kind of get these every year, two or three a year, but just, I just remember, I just sensed the, the, voice of God just spoke to me and said, that's how I feel about you. Mm. Do you know who that is out there? And uh, it's just another game changer for me, another reminder of who I am. That's beautiful. And you also talk about, you got off track. You've been open about that. There was a time in your young life when you were, um, you know, off track and doing things that um, certainly your father wouldn't have been proud of and that would have hurt him. But you talk about the grace that he gave you during that time and how he was always there. Um, and, and it did seem like such a parallel to me for God that when we are out in the wilderness, um, he's waiting, he's waiting for us to come back. He loves us. And your father modeled that so well. He did. And he, he never, um, he never threatened me. He never kicked me out of the house. Um, you know, I think my dad honestly didn't know what to do. Um, you know, he probably could have been more strict, strict on me. He probably could have disciplined me more a little, a little bit. Um, but I think he, I think he was so afraid that whatever he said might push me even farther away. And there's that moment. Um, I also talk about in the book that we're sitting on the front porch. I've come back from Nashville to get some money. Hello. And, um, <laughs> and just to visit my mom and dad. And then, but my mom and dad knew what was going on. And so my dad wanted to know if he, we could go on the front porch. And so we sat there and 
and uh, I could tell my dad was hurt. And that's, that was probably the most painful thing. Mm -hmm. I'm hurting my mom and dad. And my, my, all my dad said, son, you're going to have to pull it together. You know, you're going to have to pull it together. And I just remember just my head hung down, <laughs> you know, in kind of in shame a little bit, but just more knowing that I was hurting him. And I said, all, all I could say was, I know, dad, I know. And I knew that was not my destiny. I knew that I was destined for something really amazing, but, but I knew that if something didn't change, I could potentially change, lose my life. And I almost did one time, you know, so um, I'm convinced that I'm talking to you today because of the prayers of my mom and dad. Mm -hmm. They never gave up on me. Yeah. And thank God they didn't. And we're grateful for that. Um, I love to, in the, in the book, you tell the story about meeting your wife, Debbie, and yeah. about the introduction to your parents too. And, um, you know, you were, you, I, it sounds like it was sort of love at first sight. I mean, you guys wasted no time. Yeah, it was a little, it was a little crazy. Cause I thought that would never happen to me. I mean, I thought, thought that's impossible. How do you fall in love with somebody when you first see them? You've never seen him or met them. And I was smitten. I mean, it was just, I was so into music and in the studio writing I, the, the, a relationship was the furthest thing from my mind. And, but something happened there. She walked by, she walked by again. I called my mom, said, I saw this girl want to marry. And just, just <laughs> but she had off. no conversation with no conversation. I remember my mom says, what's her name, son? I said, I don't know, mom. I don't know her name. <laughs> I've not even met her. So my mom thought I'd kind of, she was actually a little concerned for me. I said, mom, <laughs> I got to go. I'll keep you posted. So, and I went and found her uh, in the warehouse of Benson record company, where I was over there meeting with the president about possibly getting a record deal. So I couldn't find her. She's at the women's restroom. I wait outside the women's restroom. She walks out and I'd say, Hey, I just want to introduce myself. I'm stalking you. I am kind of, I'm not stalking <laughs> you. <laughs> and, uh, and then, yeah, we went out three days later and then we got engaged three and a half weeks later and married weeks, four. people weeks, weeks. When I talk to young people, this is something I don't highly recommend. Exactly. <laughs> like, I'm not going to tell you that part of the story because I don't want to encourage my kids to run off and do the same thing. Living the Bream continues in a moment. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. So I want to ask you a little bit about your process. You talk about this some in the book about um, when you're trying to write and get things together. What is that like for you, having had plenty of hit songs, sold millions of records? What is it for you like for you now when you think of a new project? Do you wait for material to come to you? Do you give yourself a schedule like a lot of authors and writers do? How do you tackle it? Yeah. Well, honestly, for years, um, you know, my favorite songs that I've written have just fallen out of the sky. You know, you just catch it. And uh, I think as I get older, um, you know, I'm, I'm almost honestly finding just I'm getting invitations to do just extraordinary things. You know, um, I mean, I just got back from Italy and mm -hmm. working with Andrea Bocelli. And, you know, so that invite inspired me to write two new songs for that project. And 
you know, and then this, now this is the 20 year anniversary of the worship record that was, that actually came out on nine 11. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this September will be the 20 year anniversary. So we're going to reimagine that record with a 68 piece orchestra. So, wow. so um, no drums, no guitars, just all orchestra. Um, so there's those kind of things that come along. And then we obviously the pandemic sort of shut everything down. And so I found myself really creative. I've wrote a lot of songs. Um, you know, uh, 95% of them were just nuggets, but, you know, you love the two or three that you go, whoa, I think I have something here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I actually got to spend a lot of time with my mom, which is really great because she's mm-hmm. her health is declining a little bit. So me being home was a good thing. But um, yeah, but, but but all this whole tour thing got pushed to the fall. So we, we have a busy, busy, busy fall. And so, yeah, but the writing thing has been good. I'm, I'm you know, Debbie makes fun of me because, you know, just six months ago, I, I went through this dry spell, which happens mm-hmm. every year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's so dry that you think, well, OK, it's uh, it's been a great run. I'm done. It, I'm done. <laughs> and I need to find something else to do. And then Deb says, you know, you say that every year. Yeah, he's right. And then yeah. all, all of a sudden, a week later, you're in the studio and you can't hit record quick enough. I mean, it's just they just keep coming. And mm-hmm. so I'm grateful for that. But, you know, I think just the opportunities and the invites. And then I think part of it, Shannon, is just my DNA. I'm just I'm driven a little bit. And I think my best work is yet to come. And I kind of feel the wind at my back. And I'm just like, I still have a passion for it. It'd be totally different mm-hmm. if I got tired and I just wanted to do something else. But this is my sweet spot. This is what I'm called to do. And I want to finish well and I want to spend every bit of energy and creativity that I have before I'm out of here. So Mm -hmm. we'll see what happens. Well, you know, I talked to the guys from Mercy Me a couple of weeks ago and they were talking about how they felt sort of caged up this this past year because they were used to being on tour like you are, being out there with people and connecting with audiences and sharing the music and how they've recorded jillions of songs and had all of this time to mess around where normally their record company would be like, oh, that's enough studio time. Let's wrap it up, <laughs> get this record done and get it out. But they right. said it's afforded them a lot of freedom to write and to think and do those things. But they were so excited about getting back on the road. I mean, what does that look like for you? Well, it's been a long time. I mean, th- this past weekend, I went out and did my first, I, I did some private shows towards the first of the year, but th- this last weekend was the first time I'd really gone out and done a, you know, a theater and people showing up and people paying to come, you know, and you had thought people had died and gone to heaven. They, exactly. I walked out. It was like, it was like the Beatles, you know, it was like, <laughs> and, and I just stood up and just started waving at everybody. It took me like three minutes before I ever went to the keyboard because it's like, and I just say, can you believe we're actually together? Mm-hmm. And That's I just a good think feeling. They, it is a good feeling. They've been cooped up for 14 months, you know? So I think there's going to be a lot of anticipation and a lot of energy in these rooms when we, when we hit these cities. And uh, it was a thrill for me. I, I just thought, golly, I just forgot how much I love what I do. Mm-hmm. I know it's a great reminder. I think about how being out of church for several months for most people um, you know, a lot of them are back and, you know, we would, when Shell and I visit, uh, Nashville, um, it was the first place we went to church in person in the middle of the COVID thing. Cause right. there was a church there that we love in Franklin that, 
uh, said, we're doing tickets like you would reserve a ticket to go to a concert. So we know who's seated where and we can spread you out. You don't have to pay for it or anything. We just need a reservation. We went to church and it was the first time being with people and singing and worshiping and hearing a message in person in months. And I cried through the whole thing. I think people were just so anxious to, it felt like with having church and worship taken away from you, where you're used to going in there every week and, and bearing each other's burdens and sharing together in the struggles that you're having and to have all of the crisis that people had last year, but not have the ability to go share it with your brothers and sisters in person, um, in a spiritual format. I think that really hurt a lot of people. So I think to get back, man, your concerts are going to be like a little bit of heaven every night that you're out there. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. Yes. Um, and then you know, you watch people react, Shannon. I mean, um, I've said it over and over for years that I think music is the most powerful universal language in the world. And you just watch a song; it just to, 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 it's hard to comprehend because it's still a mystery to me how you craft a song and this three and a half minute song can completely change somebody's life. Mm-hmm. That's just phenomenal to me mm-hmm. and so i can't forget that you never know what's going on out there and i'll never know till i get to the other side to really know mm-hmm. uh it is encouraging though when people tell you their story and they tell you you know your your song saved my life you know um i'll, I'll never forget the the girl listening to place in this world on a pop radio station driving down the five freeway in la back in the 90s and was suicidal and had a horrific upbringing and abuse and the list goes on. And she was literally on her way to take her life and place in this world came on the pop radio station Mm. and she pulled over on the side of the road and just began to weep. The last I heard she was married and has kids who are getting ready to graduate from high school. Maybe they've got kids too. So that was back in the mid nineties. And so that kind of stuff keeps you, it it keeps you going, you know, Mm -hmm. and just a, a friendly reminder of the songs work, the music works, and this is what you're called to do. Yeah. And you share in the book about your dad that we're talking about today, about a story involving South Africa, your travel there. And one of those stories, uh, it's amazing if you want to share a little bit of that with us. Yeah. I just, I I was, um, it's a lot. The short story is they wouldn't let me on the plane because my passport didn't have an empty page. I've never heard that rule. You know, there's two or three, countries where you got to have an empty page, whatever. So that lady just said to me, you're not going to, you're not going to Joburg today, you know? And, then, and I think in the past I would have like been, I would have been a little upset. I don't like my plans to be interrupted. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to plan a travel meltdown or two. Yeah. It's, it's not <laughs> fun, you know, nope. and flying used to be fun. It's not much not anymore. fun anymore. <laughs> and so all of a sudden my whole band and whole crew are all getting on a plane and I'm staying back in Atlanta in some hotel, hoping to get a passport the next day. But the crazy story is I kept thinking, what would my dad do? Um, he would probably say, well, son, God's probably in it somehow. So I just was at such a peace. And so I went out and got an Uber. My hotel was only 10 minutes away. And I got in a, I got in a car with a guy named Ruben and how was your flight? Well, I didn't go anywhere. What do you mean you didn't go anywhere? So I started unfolding the story and, and, and then he wanted to know what I did. And I began to explain a little bit what I do for a living. He said, Oh yeah, I went to church camp and uh, I went to church and kind of tried to tell him a little bit of his religious upbringing. And basically he kind of walked away from the Lord or whatever. And so 
we just had just this amazing conversation and that he really wanted to know what really happened to me. And I, I just remember telling him, I just had a massive encounter with Christ changed my life, you know, and, and I've condensed it. I wasn't, I wasn't heavy handed with it. I just was real honest, conversational, you know, and he stops his car 30 seconds from the hotel. And he, he, he looked back at me and says, okay, I've got 30 seconds left with you. Would you please tell me what a massive encounter with Christ looks like? Mm. And so I told him in probably 60 seconds, cause he, he <laughs> creeped his car up to the lobby. He drove really slow and I just told him. And, and then he goes, you know, I had a pastor in my car two days ago. I got you in my car today. I think God's trying to tell me something. Mm-hmm. And then I remember I looked at Reuben and said, Reuben, I believe God's got a call in your life. And I promise I'll pray for you. And I said goodbye. And I walked in the lobby and I, and I just was like, I stopped. I literally stopped at my tracks and went, that's why I'm not on that flight to Joburg was for Reuben. Mm-hmm. So, and if, if, if all of us can stop in our moments of inconvenience, someone who right. shows up or a flight that doesn't go or whatever it is to see that God is planting people and circumstances in our lives for a reason, it's such a great reminder. I love that story. Um, you have so many great stories. I want to remind people again that the book is now officially out. It's the Way of the Father by Michael Libby Smith. Among his other talents, he has written this fantastic book. Um, now, before I let you go, I have to ask you, what is your favorite Michael W. Smith song? Oh, uh, um, and you're going to sing it for us. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, it, that's a hard one. I always somebody asked me that yesterday in the interview. Uh, you know, it's always my it's always my it's always the new songs that I've written. Mm-hmm. Um, um, everybody wants me to say friends. Obviously, I didn't think I was going to have to sing that one for the rest of my entire eternity. Life. We'll yeah. probably be singing it in heaven. <laughs> Uh, Agnus Day is probably my yeah. favorite worship song. That That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And then um, I have this brand new song called Sing Again that I wrote for the Bocelli Project. And it's kind of a post-pandemic, although I don't want to really call it that. But it, uh, I'm, you know, I, I'm pretty hard on myself. Um, but I'm excited about this song. And it feels... <laughs> It feels just universal. It feels like a song that everybody can own and sing, especially what we've been going through for the past 14, 15 months. Mm-hmm. Um, it just says, you know, this lonely heart will sing again. These barren lungs will breathe again. Uh, through suffering, we're stronger in the palm of his hand. Like a beacon in the night, hope illuminates the sky, reaching for each other. And as we carry on, we are beacons of the light. Mm. I and, can't wait to hear it. And a beacon of the light is hope to me. And I think that's yeah. a, as we as the church, we're that beacon of, of hope to people who are, especially in these last, you know, 14 months again, these people who are in so much fear, you know. So mm-hmm. this song is sort of a anthemic celebration of going, you know what, we're going to make it, you know. So mm-hmm. that's my favorite new song. Okay. I will I'll look say, forward I'll, to it. I'll send you a copy. I would love to hear it. Um, I still am very much, I love the new stuff too, but I, you know, it went back in my days at Liberty University where you're working with them now, my alma mater, um, Secret Ambition. We might've played our cassette until it blew up. 
back in the cassette days. <laughs> eye to eye record. Love wow. that whole project. Could sing it word for word. Not that anyone's asking, but um, but your <laughs> your new stuff and your worship stuff is so powerful too. So I can't wait to hear this new song. In the meantime, congrats on the book, The Thank Way you. of the Father. And we look forward to seeing you out there on the road, Michael. Thank you, Shannon. I appreciate it so, so, so much. God bless you guys. You too. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.